It's always soccer in Philadelphia. You know, well, it wasn't soccer last week, but now it is because we have the annoying uh, international break that hits uh, the first week of September. Just seems to be a uh, momentum killer, especially for your playoff-bound Philadelphia Union. And I hope I don't jinx that. But to help me talk about it, uh, making his always soccer in Philadelphia debut, my colleague from CrossingBroad.com and Crossing Broad FC, it's Mr. Phil Kaidel. Phil, what is good? Kevin, good evening. Thanks for having me. Yeah, welcome yeah, in. I completely agree with you. Uh, this international break is the least welcome interruption every year. But it is even worse this year because the World Cup just ended and we saw all these teams and we saw these nations play each other and we just got our professional leagues back and we just got our normalcy back. And uh-huh. after a few weeks of the European leagues being up and running, and as you point out with MLS driving toward uh, an exciting end of the season, everything stops for two weeks. And again, I don't know why anybody's too excited to watch the United States and Mexico play because other than the people who are in Nashville watching it, I'm yeah. not sure who really cares. No, I saw as soon as I saw Jossi Zardes was playing Lone Striker at the top of the formation, I just well, I don't I'm in this my music studio right now and I don't have a TV in here anyway, so I couldn't turn it on even if I wanted to. I could like, you know, set up the uh, tablet in here and like put it up there or whatever the hell, but I'm not I, I just like I'm not I'm not interested in United States soccer until Dave Sarakin is gone, uh, you know, until the MLS season is over, maybe. I just, I, like, I agree with you. If they're coming out of the World Cup, it's like, I just watched, you know, Croatia and Spain play a bunch of games. I don't feel like I need to see them again, you know? The problem with this break and the October break is that, yeah, they happen right at the beginning of the Premier League season and the Serie A season and the European season. They happen towards the end of the MLS season. So it's like it kills both leagues because you're just getting the momentum going with the European leagues, and now you have something exciting. The Union are unbeaten in, what, however many games, and then it comes to a screeching halt. And it's a shame, too, because I think the Union were on to something. Uh, and look, they may not lose that momentum. They may pick it right back up again and drive it to the end. But they were in this little run where – they obviously believed in each other and believed they could get results. And on top of that, they weren't like just pulling games out of their rear ends. They were nah. legitimately winning games from beginning to end, taking leads, holding leads. Uh, Blake was playing amazingly well. Uh, they were getting goals from the people they needed to get goals from. It, it, it was like a real team. <laughs> so it was a shame to see them stop playing for God forbid, yeah. two weeks. No, I know it's the first time ever in my entire life where I think I was like, no, we 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 don't need a break. Would they need to to get this going to keep this going? They'd played a bunch of games in not a not a long amount of time, and you know they gave up two goals in the last game out, but still to get a point a, a seven point week went that almost could have been a nine point week. Um, I don't think you can find many much to complain about in there. But we have more important things to discuss before we get into any of that. Um, the biggest piece of news that happened in the, the world of the Philadelphia Union uh, and the fans uh, was the unveiling of the the long-awaited Philadelphia Union mascot. Uh, Fang, his name is. Well, I believe it's a he. I mean, it could be a he, a she, uh, you know, an androgynous uh, creature. Uh, whatever you want to call it, it's a, uh, sn- it's a blue snake with uh, arms and legs. And uh, it has a gold mohawk, 
and it's got two arms and two legs because, you know, a human being has to be in the costume, obviously. You can't do a snake uh, with no limbs because then what the hell would the, the guy do? He would just l- roll around on the ground or something. So, uh, you know, we can get into the, the physiology of snakes and how a bipedal humanoid uh, is is expected to to play a snake uh, in costume, but Phil, I would just ask you for a more basic uh, reaction to Fang, spelled with a PH. I have a major problem with Fang already, and Fang's only been with us for literally hours. They just had yeah, he just hatched yesterday. <laughs> I'm aware of this at the Philadelphia Zoo, and they had to move it indoors because of the rain. But they uh, the hatching went. Yeah, because snakes are notoriously terrible uh, in wet conditions. Um, I think the term I'm looking for here is cognitive dissonance. Um, and maybe our listeners will correct me if I have that, if I'm using it wrong, but I don't think I am. You know, mascots are supposed to be cuddly and approachable and uh, something that people want to get involved with. I hate snakes, and I don't think I'm the only one who hates snakes. And moreover, if we're getting right down to it, you know, the presence of the snake in the Union logo and in the uh, the lore of Philadelphia and the Union lore mm-hmm. is the don't tread on me piece, right? Like you're right, supposed right. to be staying the hell away from the snake. That's why we talk about it that way and use <laughs> it that right. way. You're not supposed to be hugging it and, no. and giving your giving your kids uh, picture opportunities with it. Totally right? not. That yeah. snake is going to bite you. Yeah. Stay the hell away from it. So, yes, I have disappointment and, and sadness about this. Thankfully, my children are, are old enough now that the, the mascot is not a draw to yeah the stadium for them anymore but no if i had like a five and a two-year-old and that beast for lack of a better phrase came to approach them to take a picture or whatnot we're running the other way well uh, let me okay so two different things here number one the don't tread on me flag is with the serpent that's coiled up and it's in correct. one it's in one piece right but the yes. join the join or die cartoon is 13 you know, different pieces, segments segments. for the 13 colonies, right? So theoretically, they could have done 13 different snake segments here, and they could have had 13 different part-time workers. They needed you 48 hours ago before they did the launch. Yeah, you know what? Well, next time, uh, they'll make sure... I'll make sure I get my input in there. But more importantly, like the things that actually matter here, you said, you know, your your kids are not young anymore. And and my, my take has always been... It, it does like like whatever you know every every most professional teams have a mascot except the flyers right and it doesn't you know when you take your family down there the kids want to see the philly fanatic and they want to see uh franklin the dog and they want to see uh you know swoop right swoop Correct. who has hands by the way you know and yes. eagles don't have hands so um, but it doesn't I, like to me it doesn't it doesn't hurt any anything you know putting a mascot out there is not like taking away from Jay Sugarman not spending 3 million dollars on a goal scorer you know because those things are two those are two different things you know he can he can do both of those things at the same time not spend money and put a mascot out there you know it's not like they're putting the mascot out there in lieu of actually like building a good first team you know so i, I don't think it it makes a big deal at the at the end of the day plus you think about it like 15% of the stadium is sons of Ben, right? Who are like, yes. you know, don't most of them like don't have kids or don't bring their kids into the river end obviously and and are just sort of, you know, paying the the cheaper supporter section tickets. Those people are going to abuse this mascot though. Well, like, they already I've are. I've been in the supporter section. A lot of the, the questions are about <laughs> are about that which will. I know these people. I am now of these people yeah, and I yeah. can tell you this is not going to be well received. They uh, habitually boo the drum corps that comes out before the matches. <laughs> 
Um, now, <laughs> yeah, but it's meanwhile, but, you know, piece, but you know why they do because it's not because the, the the idea with the union versus like a Sixers game, right? Is that like everything is organic and authentic down there? You don't need all this other shit because you just have the crowd noise and it's just a great atmosphere, great sightlines as it is. You know, well, you just hit it right on the nose and the thing I was about to say, which is the reason why an Eagles game needs swoop and a Phillies game, for Christ's sake, needs the fanatic now, and even a Sixers game needs whatever that mascot is from year to year, decade to decade. Those forms of entertainment and those games take too damn long, okay? You need the Fanatic if the Phillies are going to have eight pitchers in a three-and-a-half-hour game and lose 4-2. <laughs> the, obviously, the, one of the biggest draws of MLS soccer around the world, man, two hours, maybe two hours and ten minutes if something really screwy happens, and yeah. then we're all going home. So we don't really need Fang or anybody else getting in the way of the product. That's true, man. I Listen, I... I understand that completely. I, I, I don't have, I guess the way I would explain it is that I, I don't have an argument for Fang, you know? I just well, don't. You just, I, made, you just made the point then. If you can't <laughs> justify or argue in favor of this thing no. and you're completely ambivalent to it, then it's entirely unnecessary and it should go away. Yeah, but I don't now. have, but I also, I also don't have an argument against it. You know, so like if I'm if I'm like lukewarm on something and I can't really see a positive or a negative from it, my my default would be to just in, be inclusive, you know, and like if some little kid, some six year old goes up to the Toyota Plaza before the game while he's eating a taco and kicking the ball around or something, he wants to get his picture with the Barney looking dinosaur thing then that's fine, you know, but yeah, it's a good point. It's not like, it's not like you need Fang to like entertain the fans during a commercial break while you're stuffing your face with potato chips or something like that. Cause there are no commercial breaks. It's like the Philly fanatic, you know, uh, doing one handed pushups with Jose Bautista in the outfield for entertainment purposes. You're right that that's, it's part of the natural flow of the game. Doesn't really make for a mascot. You know, I really think they should have gone with a syphilis riddled Ben Franklin. I would have preferred that by quite a bit, and I think it would really tie in much better with not just uh, the franchise yeah. and its condition, but also the Sons of Ben and the supporters. It would have been a really nice touch. Well, it would have been, uh, you know, historically accurate for sure. Like the Alexander Graham Bell uh, Geico commercial, where he answers the phone and he says, "Ahoy, hoy, Alexander exactly. Graham Bell here." When he says. Oh, no, this is one. You want two. That was another nice touch in that commercial. I thought <laughs> yeah. that was great. Yeah, but they did their research on that. So anyway, that's kind of what I have to say about the mascot thing. There are more questions about it uh, that we will uh, get to eventually. But let's actually talk about the product uh, on the field. And I guess the question I would have for you, Phil, is do you – do we foresee a drop-off here? Like does, does the two weeks serve as a momentum killer? Or do you think we're going to see the same team that we saw? No, I don't think there's any reason to believe that they're going to fall off because it's not like all of these guys went across the globe playing for various international teams, to the best of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, most of them probably stayed around here, or if they went anywhere, they, they get a nice break uh, you know, to recharge and get ready for the stretch drive. So I don't think there's a reason to think that this international break will derail them. Now, the one thing I will say is, obviously, momentum is fleeting, and if they come back from the break and throw out a clunker now you gotta worry yeah so i think the first match back is going to be pretty determinative of how they do and, and what it looks like the rest of the way well it's going to be a huge six-pointer with montreal because because right now the table is union well let me get let me go from the top new york atlanta new york probably uncatchable all three of those teams 
Columbus fourth with 43 points, Philly fifth with 40 points, and Montreal is sixth with 36. So if you beat Montreal on Saturday, you go seven points clear of them for the last spot, and they're probably not catching you. Um, and then that puts you in position to, to catch Columbus, actually. Now, if you lose, then things get tricky because then you have – see, the Union have a game in hand on Montreal, but New England then is right behind you too. So they, they, they come out and win this game on Saturday – I'm 95% sure uh, they're going to the playoffs. I got to be careful with this, but I don't think New England's very good. I just saw them. No, they I no, not they're impressive. not. They're not. They're not. But you know, now that those games with with the Union are out of the way, who knows? They might be able to scrape by and beat beat some other teams to at least at least make it interesting. You know, um, but but I would I would kind of agree. I don't I don't think it's going to be any different. I don't I don't think the break is going to hurt them because it's not it's not like they just. It's like they just got hot or they had some bounces go their way uh, or their one striker got really hot, even though Corey Burke is playing well. Um, they they clicked at a certain – something just like a, a you know a light switch went on you know five or six games ago where they just looked like they understood themselves. They understood what they were trying to do, what kind of team they really are, you know, the confidence to pass the ball and to play, play a certain way on the road. So I, I don't think it's like a form – thing i don't think it's like they're hot and now they're going to get cold or they're hot i think like they fundamentally understand what they are and they're a different team i give jim Curtin a lot of credit for not being in front of the press going i told you people <laughs> you had no faith in me. well he could yeah and he very well could have but he just for said sure. he just said okay we have you know we haven't done we haven't done anything yet we haven't accomplished anything yet which is refreshing you know because you know when you come out of those things you want to take a crack at anybody and everybody who doubted you you know um, well, and as you point out, it's not over yet. I mean, they could lose three of the next four, and now who knows where you are. I mean, I'm looking ahead. Uh, after Montreal, they have to go to Seattle, which is not somewhere they have a lot of success generally. No. Now, the Sounders aren't as good as they have been in past seasons, but you're still making a cross-country trek. Yeah, and they're still a really hard place to play. And they're hitting their they're hitting their stride at just they the, are. the right time, you know. So For sure. Um, and then, look, Sporting KC, uh, yeah, it's home, but – you know, another team that's given the Union trouble over the years. So let me ask you. they're second in their conference. So then do you point – see, this is – because this is the, the thing that everybody's trying to wrap their head around. So you've got the Open Cup final three days after that. And then you've got the critical away game with Columbus three days after that on the 29th. So when people were asking about this last week, I said you play the Montreal game Saturday, no problem, right? Right. You play the Seattle game, no problem, Wednesday, full-strength squad, Yeah. Yes, you, unless you like trounce Montreal and something happens and like New England loses again or something, and mm-hmm. now your lead is unassailable. Now you might think about resting one or two guys against Seattle. Well, here's the thing then: do you? I I always said that it just made more sense to punt that home game with Kansas City because they're in the Western Conference. It's not like you're giving up a a, a six pointer. It's not like if you lose that game with a bunch of backups that you're letting another team climb climb at you from behind. I think they punt that game. Either way, whatever happens against Montreal or Seattle, yeah. they will probably not go full strength against Sporting because they can't keep going to this U.S. Open Cup final and never win one. Yeah, and you got to put all the egg, you got to put every egg in the basket, right? For sure. And look, Houston is there for the taking. They're demonstrably worse than Philadelphia. So yeah. this is a match that, even if though it's you know not a home match for the Union. They may not be favored, but they're not going to be significant underdogs. And if they go and play the way they're capable of playing, they can win that match. And look, just to raise any silver for this franchise would be an amazing accomplishment. And 
possibly a stepping stone to the rest of the season going really well. I feel strangely like I almost feel like the Union have a better chance to win it this year than they did the two years that they were in it prior. Well, for sure, because the teams that they lost to in prior Open Cup finals had much better top-line talent than they had. Yeah. They might have been they may not have been deeper or significantly better teams top to bottom, but they had stars and the Union didn't really have stars that could play at that level. Yeah, no, like when Seattle brought Obafemi Martins off the bench and you know, Gonzalo Pineda and whoever the hell else it was in the Union were were bringing Pedro Ribeiro off the bench, that was kind of the difference in those but it's just strange i don't know a bunch of people are going down there um i don't know i like it when you name names i i I wanted to protect the innocent but i like it when you name names (laughs) well that's we yeah we don't um yeah we don't hold much back on uh it's always soccer in philadelphia though we have been a lot a lot more positive uh lately for obvious reasons um yeah i think it's pretty much uh bizarro time that the uh the phillies podcast is so negative and this podcast is like the happiest place on earth. It's right strange, now. man. I mean, did you? I, the Phillies were like flying high. It looked like they were going to be in a, a, you know, division, you know, race for the division, and if nothing else, a wild card. I mean, like if I told you a month ago that the Phillies would be where they are now, and that the Union would be, would still be alive and playing for a trophy, you would have said what to me? No chance. That's a silly thing to say. Have you not been watching the Union for the last ten years? You know, what are you thinking? Well, that's why I think uh, everybody's just are. like kind of like primed for what they think is going to be an, an inevitable letdown, you know? Um, but but it, I don't really feel that way. I don't, I don't Because either. when you watch them either. play, they actually seem to have a cohesive idea. They're executing. And again, I don't want to sit here and become like the number one Andre Blake fanboy. But man, he is fun to watch. And he can steal a game on his own. No, I know. And... uh yeah, you know, with Corey Burke playing the way he is, I think the key is going to be what's up with with Dogecoin, whether his ankle's fine. I, I mean, it seems like it's going to be like that. Um, Ilsenio, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's nice to have him come off the bench, but um, they've done okay with injuries this year too. I, I think that's been something that's kind of been, you know, under the radar too, because it feels like every well, year there's always at least one crippling friggin' thing that that hurts them. You know, but they've um, they've done all right. And even if Sapong yeah. is falling off and isn't what he's been. He's certainly capable of having a two or three match stretch toward the end here yeah. where he finds it and puts a couple goals in and starts to be that that target piece again at least for the first 60 minutes or whatever they're so running th- for. So let's let's do one exercise here and then we'll see what uh, what questions people have. Sure. Um, let's go through the less, rest of the schedule and just kind of play it out and see see what we do here. Um, have it up. All right. Home to Montreal on Saturday. I think they get the job done. Yeah, it's a win. At Seattle. That's a loss. Win, loss. Let me write this down, or else the exercise is meaningless. Well, you, I mean, I'm not the one who's declaring this. If you think they can go to Seattle <laughs> and get a result, even if it's a draw, go ahead and say so. But I, 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 I just have a lot on yeah, their minds. I, I don't – yeah. I mean, Seattle's playing well right now. So, okay, so then the home game with Kansas City. Are we, are we chalking that up as a loss, say they – yeah, I think so. I think KC will need that match, and I think they will play their best. And as we've just alluded to, I don't think Curtin can afford to spend all his best players in that match mm-hmm. with a, a trophy at stake four days later uh, against a beatable team. And again, this is not an Open Cup situation where uh, you know, you're know you stuck playing the Red Bulls mm-hmm. in New York or Atlanta in Atlanta, for God's sake. Yeah. 
you know, this Dynamo team is there to be beaten. And so uh, looking ahead then, I'll say they lose to KC, mm -hmm. and I'm predicting a win in the Open Cup win final. Win in the Open Cup final. Okay, so then they have to turn it around, and they have to play at Columbus three days later in a, in a huge game with playoff implications. Yeah, but the problem is if you, if you win the Cup, uh, it's really hard then to just turn the switch back on again four days later and play a motivated Columbus team out there. So would you, so if, if you were organizing this team, would you keep them on the road and would you just go to, you would probably just have to go directly Absolutely. to the hotel from, yeah, cause you can't, there's not going to be enough time to come back. No chance. You can't come home to Philadelphia and then go back out. Right. Cause you'd come back yeah. on that Thursday and then what fly back out on Friday. So they're going to have to go no matter win, win or lose the open cup. They're going to have to go directly to Columbus. I agree. Okay. So I'll, I'll say, I think they can snag a point there. I'll, I'll say, yeah, say that's, I was about to say draw as well. Yeah. Okay, so then they come home and they play Minnesota, um, and they get the the full week. So we think that's going to be a win, yeah. That's three nil. Three nil win. Now, yeah. home to Red Bull. Draw. Draw. And then what do they do in the season finale at NYC? Depends on how many of NYC's best players are on. The well, pitch and I guess it depends where. The match. Yeah, it depends where they are. They've been really, really good at home, but I think they finally just lost at home for the first time this year. So let me tally this up. So that's three points, um, three more points from the Minnesota, and then you have two draws in there. So we're going to say they get eight points in the final one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight points in the final seven games. So that would put them at where the hell would that put them? That would put them at forty-eight. Correct. And that would tie the 2011 team for the most points by a union team in franchise history. I don't think that's an inappropriate or um, unreasonable expectation. I don't either. For this group compared to what's been here. I don't think so. I, yeah, I don't either. Uh, and Columbus still has to go to Portland and Dallas and then they have that you know it's really what it is the the I think I think the union end up fifth place they will play at Columbus in the playoffs um and it's just going to come down to that Columbus game after the open cup I didn't even really think a lot about that because obviously everybody's asking about what do they do before it in that Kansas City game but you know yeah they're going to have to go di directly from Houston to play in 90 minutes or more if that game goes to extra time in the in the Houston heat up to think up to about Columbus playing here. Think about playing the crew out there in what could be that franchise's last match there, right? I mean, how wonky is that situation? Yeah, true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, they would because be that yeah. move to Austin is still lurking and impending. Yeah, and seems more likely than not. And I know we hear "save the crew, save the crew." Well, money talks ultimately, and well, yeah, it probably wouldn't have gotten this far if there was a possibility that they were staying there. Columbus has to so, play at Dallas and at Portland in the next two weeks, and there's only four games uh, separating those two, so the Union actually could be in fourth place by the end of next week, depending on what happens with the Seattle game. But then Columbus gets Colorado at home, which is going to be a win, and then they get Philly at home. They go to Montreal, go to Orlando, and then they finish with Minnesota. So they have that, that back end – that's a soft schedule. Yeah, just really yeah. It, off it de it's going to depend on what they do in these next two road games. If they win one or both of those Dallas and Portland road games, I don't think that the Union can catch them. Um, but still, I'm you're not even that worried about the Union catching them. To be honest with you. Well, you you would... let's let's just lock up the playoff spot and then worry about it. Then. Oh, true, true. All right, you want to do uh, some questions here and see what uh, people have to say here? I can't wait. 
All right. Um, they kind of get goofy here, but I think you've listened to the podcast before, so. Sure thing. Um, <laughs> all right. Bill uh, at 1210. Uh, Dom Giordano's producer, Bill Kornfeld, says, do you think Fang is an Imagine Dragons fan? <laughs> uh, I hope not, because um, I can't stand. I have. Have you been watching any ESPN and seeing their college football promos with the song, where they just play the same song over and over and over again? I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's too much, man. Last year it was the uh, the thirty seconds to Mars. Yes. Song. And that got beaten into the. Do ground you and... believe that you can win this? Oh my God. Yeah, dude. it's pretty bad. Yeah. Win this fight tonight, and it's pretty funny when you're playing mm. that uh, as a bumper over a promo for like a five and six team against a three and 11 team. Yeah. Uh, you know, or three and 10 team, whatever. Yeah. We're going to have December Purdue versus uh, Indiana tonight. That's right. And here's 30 seconds to Mars to get you pumped up. Uh, just like yeah, Sean Mendez got everybody pumped up for the Eagles game the other night. Uh, I also don't think uh, Fang hung around on Slash's neck at any point. Uh, there's any number of, terrible snake jokes i can make slashes uh slashes snake pit that was a thing for Correct. a while back wasn't it that's what i'm saying um jeffrey mitchell says can you shout out our wu tang our wu fang clan facebook page yeah sure um, we'll shout out the wu fang clan uh, facebook page so go check that out uh, i have a prediction to make uh you're going to be dealing with these questions along these lines for a good <laughs> three or four weeks probably people are going to hear these questions and and they're going to now sit at their computers for half an hour and try and craft the absolute perfect question to present to well you. okay so there's a series of three questions here from uh, my former uh, vuvuzela co-host rick mcgovern who's probably the biggest mascot hater uh in the greater uh, delaware valley uh, region right now he says what is the correct number of cups before a mascot is justified Is it, it's got to be more than zero, I imagine. Yeah, well, for him, it's, it should be at least one. He, his second question is, why does it matter what the kids think? Why does it matter what the kids think? It doesn't. That but, was a rhetorical question. Yeah, right? but, but it goes back to what I said. It's like, it doesn't, why does it matter what the adults think? Yeah, and here's the other thing, too. It's a merchandise stream. Let's not kid ourselves. You know, yeah. You're going to take the kid of the game, and in those kiosks out on the concourse, Especially if it's you know three nothing in the 65th minute, and you've decided you're going to leave because they're winning and they're so far ahead that you want to beat the traffic. Because let's face it, getting out of town is a misery. <laughs> so you leave yeah. with your young children and they're they're dominating Minnesota or whomsoever, and you know you, you know like to cope with and deal with the disappointment of the kid not getting to stay to watch the whole match. Yeah. People are going to go to that damn kiosk and buy the stuffed Fang doll there you go. and say, here, I'm going to buy peace with this <laughs> yeah. uh, or, a, or a T-shirt yeah. or whatever, a bobblehead. That, that's all this really yeah. is when you get right down Here's to a it. Fang stuffed little toy. Now shut the fuck up and sit in the back so of I can the van and we're going to go home. Yeah. And, you know, I had three Hop Devil IPAs in the 65 <laughs> minutes we were here, right. and Daddy needs to concentrate now. That's right. So we really need some silence in the backseat. That's right. Uh, and Rick's third question, I can't believe I'm giving him three. He says, will my marriage survive an Ajax and Bayern Munich uh, Champions League group? I guess that means Karen is a uh, Bayern Munich fan. Who else is in that group? Ajax, Bayern... I should know this. I was told there'd be no quizzes. Yeah. Well, I didn't think there were going to be any either. A lot of the times in the podcast, I get questions that I don't know the answer to. And so I just kind of stumble over them and then move to the move to the next. Let thing. me be brutally honest. OK, yeah. if your marriage can't survive group stage Champions League play, 
you have issues that are deeper than anything we can help you with. This would be a different analysis if you're talking about a two-leg tie yeah. in the semifinal to get to a Champions League final. Different question. I'm here for it <laughs> at some point if it comes to yeah. that. I think we're a long way from it coming to that. But a group stage, no, not so much. Like, if you're not good enough to finish in the top two in your group, yeah. then it doesn't really much matter uh, who you love or, or who your favorite side is because – that's a prerequisite. That's a given, especially when you're a Manchester City fan like some of Yeah, us. yeah. Well, my prediction um, is that Ajax will probably bomb out and disappoint, uh, but everybody will say, rah, rah, they played a bunch of 18-year-olds and they did things, quote, unquote, the right way. Organically. Orga- they did everything yes. organically. Oh, they're in a group with uh, it's Ajax, Bayern, Benfica, and AEK Athens. Hmm. Uh, they could get out of that group, but it'll probably be say, they're not out of They're not in deep trouble there. No, no. AEK will finish at the bottom, and then it'll probably come down to Ajax and Benfica for that for that second spot. But I'll also say, if you're the type of person who really attaches a lot of significance to whether your club gets the first or the second position in its group stage play, yeah. that's also a problem that needs some addressing. Yeah. Well, we will see what happens with that. Uh, Brandon Smith says, why does anyone over the age of 14 actually give a crap what the mascot looks like? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know. I guess it, it just goes back to because what we said. Because we're logical people. We're analytical people. <laughs> and things should make sense. And yeah. this mascot doesn't really make sense for the reasons that I set forth earlier. Yeah. Now, you can disagree with my analysis and my logic, and you can think that I'm just a negative guy who doesn't enjoy fun and can't appreciate fun things. Uh, But I'm telling you that this, in my opinion, on first look, this mascot was a no for me, and I still feel that way. Well, so let me ask you this. Like, what would you... Like, what mascot... If you you had to do a Philadelphia Union mascot, what would it be? Well, first of all, I don't... Not a snake and probably not an animal. Um, You'd just want to take something from Philadelphia. Um, You wouldn't make it a Liberty Bell necessarily because the Phillies tried that a long time ago. (laughs) But, and again, I made this syphilitic Ben Franklin joke earlier, (laughs) but you could have some riff on Ben Franklin. I don't think there's trademark issues with that. And that could certainly work because it's already there with the Sons of Ben and the whole supporters ethic. You have a big jovial costumey like uh the the purdue boilermaker costume except in a ben franklin version and you have him waddle around i think it should have been a bit you know they could have done a big like bimbo loaf of bread or something yeah except isn't bimbo leaving uh yeah yeah they are but uh then you could just redo the mascot every so often you could have a big thomas bagel walking around you know absolutely bimbo man and you could get your picture taken with bimbo man and uh one year he's a bagel the next year he's an English muffin. Um, the third year he's a donut. You know, you could do a different as thing for every year of the four-year deal, right? As long as we're doing absurdist uh, comedy here, I mean, as long as Jim Curtin is managing this team, I think Rick Astley would be available to be a mascot for this club for the next one, two, three years. Well, possibly he could even perform at halftime. <laughs> well, there's nothing absurd about um, it's always soccer in Philadelphia. This is a very serious podcast. Um, so we're going to get, I've taken it very seriously. I, yeah, I know you have. And I, I appreciate that. I think, um, I think your debut is going pretty well so far. Um, David Bennett says, why all the hate Fang is a cool name and a good design. Mascots are fine. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Uh, Paul blessing says, isn't the pH instead of the F too cliche at this point, I'm calling him Fang with an F. Um, yeah, I, I, does it have to be a pH? I don't know. 
the person who is pronouncing Fang with an F is the only one who's going to know he's doing it that That's way. That's true, because it's not like it's splitting hairs there, I guess. But yeah, I would, I would, uh, I would be fine with whatever. There's no umlaut for the F. Like it just is what it <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah. That that sound is. Yeah, this is not a motorhead thing here. Um, John Turley says, "Should Curtin be fired for not finding a mascot that can play striker?" Well, it's not his job, but. Uh, now he's only coaching what he has, and this is the wrong time. There's been plenty of chances to take Curtin to task yeah. in the last few seasons. But as I mentioned earlier, he's how you like me now at this point. He is, he's, but you know what? You know what? The one thing we talked about this earlier, but you know what? The one thing that he said, the one thing he said that did bother me was when he said something to the to the effect of, "I think it's a joke that people criticize Sapong." Um, and right. like, like, what the fuck? Like, because it wasn't, it wasn't like we were just making things up. Like the guy was missing sitters. He was missing open nets. He wasn't scoring goals. I mean, what, what do you, oh. I think that's more a body of work back of the baseball card type of statement from Curtin. Yeah. And it's not the first time that a manager has ridden to the defense of a player he considers important, even if it's only in the short term. Uh, so I wasn't surprised that Curtin took that stance it probably made sense, even though it probably was a bit more over the top than it needed. Well, to is be. this like a is, is CJ Sapong like the God? I don't I don't know what a good comparison is like the uh, like who's a guy that Dave Haxtell always throws out there even when he's not playing? Well, like Andrew McDonald is he an Andrew? Well, yeah, except they they sunk a lot of money into Andrew McDonald. I don't think eh, they sunk so much money into true. CJ. That I, it, because it you, seems you to can't. me like the thing that Dave and I have talked about on this podcast a bunch is that Jim Curtin has been willing to bench a lot of guys this year. You know, and he's evolved as a manager, and that he's not afraid to shake things up and you know do different things. But there's always one guy every year that he won't put on the bench for whatever reason. That's CJ. You know, and so yes, yeah, Sapong has scored a couple goals lately. And he looks better, but that's because he was benched from his starting striker role and moved to a completely different position. So it's not like we were just making shit up. It's not like we were just talking trash on the guy. The guy was ineffective in the position he's playing. So Curtin takes him out of that position, puts him in a completely different position, and then says that we were all wrong for criticizing him in the first place. This is a bit of a reach, too, but, I mean, Hextall moved Claude Giroux to the wing, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what this stuff is. And that was when you what he player, finished with, what, 100, 102 points, 104 a huge points? Huge season. Yeah. Huge season. And that's part of what managing and coaching is. You take what you have. If you can't offload a player and he's still there and is a little older than he used to be and not as effective in the position he's been playing yeah. as he was before, you have to find another way to make him useful or you have to bury him. And it's too soon. They don't have enough else on this roster for the union's purposes to just bury CJ Sapong and not play him. Yeah. So yeah. find another way and you know, give Curtin credit for doing it. No, you're right. All right, I'll give you this question. Um, EJ says, any strong opinions on who or what the men's national team should be looking for in a head coach? Oh, boy. Um, How much time do we have, you know? Yeah. I, and again, uh, I would have a much better answer prepared if I'd seen this question before I sat down with uh, my headphones on. But I will say, uh, first of all, somebody that has managed at an extremely high level, if not in uh, like a Premier League or, um, you know, uh, Bundesliga or something like Mm -hmm. that, but somebody that has coached under significant pressure and somebody who has uh, yielded results at a very high level with some level of consistency. Um, I just can't be bothered dealing with another retread from the past 25 years mm-hmm. or a crazy-ass reach like Klinsman was, and that's really how I felt about him the entire time he was here. Yeah. Um, 
but also somebody that has a lot of understanding of the the faults and the problems in the United States soccer system and the model, the pay-to-play model, all of those things. Somebody who can make some changes and frankly convince wealthy people and or corporations to invest in development of soccer talent in the United States where the parents can't afford $6,000 a year to have them play travel soccer. Yeah. Yeah. That's who I need. I almost need um, uh, an entrepreneur, for lack of a better phrase, and somebody with a like a zeal and also uh, like a preaching spirit, like somebody who can get people to believe and buy in all the way. Uh, I never felt that way with any of the people they had here before. I mean, especially with Klinsman, like he talked about being a developer of junior talent and, and wanting to have his hands on the youth programs. But it almost felt like Klinsman looked at what there was and said, well, I can't fix that. Well, <laughs> so it's, it's too tall of a task for on any one person. You know, it's like, right. it's like, how many times has it ever worked out that an NFL coach who was also given like GM duties, how many success yeah, stories are there of, of that? Yeah, it doesn't not work. Chip, not That's Chip Kelly true. in Philadelphia, you know. Not even Andy Reid. Right not even it. Andy Reid. I mean, if you think about Ernie Stewart now being involved with a national team, shouldn't that kind of be his responsibility of like gluing all the parts together? I, I still need. Yeah, but he's not a personality who's going to do the things I just talked about. He's not a motivator of people. He's a respected figure in the United States. No, soccer, he doesn't. He's not. He doesn't have to be, gonna... but I think he has to like kind of put those right people in place. He's another important body who can focus on all that stuff. I still need like the coach, a coach that can coach. And Jurgen Klinsmann was not a great X's and O's coach. He just wasn't. You know, what I mean, for the, for that Bayern team, for his Bayern teams to crash out, and for that Germany team not to win it in two thousand six. Um, the constant tactical shuffling with him. And then you have a guy like Bruce Arena who's too old school, you know, and then you have a guy like Sarakin who's just an understudy. I, I need like something in between. It's like the, the porridge is too hot or it's too cold. Like I would love, I hate the fact that Jurgen Klinsmann was German because now everybody's kind of soured on another German coach. But like a guy like Jurgen Klopp would be perfect for this team. You might take me down for this. Well, I love, well, well Jurgen Klopp could you know, coach my son's U13 <laughs> team to a national I know title. that's not much of a reach because Jurgen, Jurgen Klopp could coach anybody, but the, but the Germans are notoriously organized and, you know, very good with youth. Um, you know, they'll put 18 and 19-year-old kids in there. They'll have a structure and tactics. It's just a shame that we brought in the only one who wasn't any good at that, you know? What about the guy that Orlando City let go this summer? What do you think of him? Jason Kreis? That's right. Uh, I don't I don't know. I, I'm I'm sour, soured on him, you know, because he couldn't get the job done in New York either. You know, he's those RSL days are now far away. You know, I was high on. Yeah, Oscar. He's, only, he's only 45, though. I was high. Well, I, if you were going, you know, domestic, I, I was higher on Oscar Pereja for a long time from FC Dallas. I like Greg Berhalter in Columbus, but neither of those signings really knocks it out of the park for me. Um well, it's a pretty wide gulf between Jurgen Klopp and the guys we're talking oh, I know, about. I know, and I know. I don't know where we're going to go to find the person who's going to fit right in the middle there and bring U.S. soccer into at least qualifying. We're such a we're just such a weird program because you know it's like you, you're you're this is it's like the longest transition ever. You know, we used to be a blue collar, work hard, score on set pieces kind of team, and now we're trying to be what everybody else is, which is play decent football and let your kids play you know so 
I, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is. <laughs> well, here's the other problem. You you also you want to pick a manager now, but we are still two and a half years away, really, from the thick end of World Cup qualifying. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. it's not going to be serious until then. And with any luck, the players who are going to factor into that World Cup qualification campaign are going to emerge even more than they already have, like in the case of uh, Weah. Um, yeah, or yeah. like we don't even know who they are yet. Maybe there's some 18 year old kid who's going to make a, a three level leap in the next two and a half years and be one of the most important players on that team. Then you need that manager mm-hmm. to manage those people. You don't know who those people are yet. So it might almost be too soon, but I agree with you on this. You can't have Sarah can just hanging around here for the next 18 months. Cause that's not, it's already been, it's already been too long. I've, I've had enough of him. Um, let me see what else I got here. Um, this is a question from rich. This is kind of interesting. I don't really have an answer to it. I don't think, but I'll read it anyway. Um, is it best if Bethlehem steel stays in USL division two, or they join the other MLS, uh, the other MLS two teams and, uh, Penn FC in the USL division three. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, I think it makes sense for Steel to be playing like Toronto 2 and Red Bull 2 and the other academies because those are kind of that's the level of talent that they're going to be competing with in MLS when they get promoted. So it seems like it makes sense to keep all the the MLS farm teams together. Um but I don't I don't I don't know how you divide up the USL divisions. I I think it'd be cool to see Pro Rel at a at a lower level and test it out to see if it works. Yeah, I agree, yeah. and I I would never espouse voluntarily dropping back. Yeah, I, I think the steel need to stay where they are as long as they can feasibly do it, um, even if there's going to be some continuing pain. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see if we have anything else here that's not mascot related. Uh, what happened with the tri- uh, the tall trialist striker we had in training? The Polish dude. I'm not sure. Um, I'll ask Tansy to provide us an update. Um, this might be a question you can answer, Phil, since you've been down there as a fan. Um, Mitch says, on a scale of 1 to 10, how do you rate Tim McDermott's work on the business and marketing side of things, uh, and how do the union compare in that area to other Philly teams? Well, honestly, I think the union's marketing people are really very good. Um, They reach out. uh, They're not aggressive, but they are definitely persistent. They want to make you feel like part of what they're trying to do, like you know, I bought the tickets off StubHub for the last two matches that mm-hmm. I went to sitting in this Porter section. And I got emails after each match. You know, we, we hope you loved it. We hope you come back. Will you consider being a season ticket holder? They called the house. I didn't answer. <laughs> but um, no, so that part of it is fine. And the in-match um, presentation or product, if you will, I think is an excellent product. Um, I have no complaints with what they do from a marketing perspective. Yeah. But ultimately... What they need to do is they need to win the U.S. Open Cup, which they have a really good chance to do this year, and they need to make a playoff run. They need to not just make playoffs this year, but they need to go on a little bit of a run. And if you can do that and then, as you pointed out earlier, spend $3 million on one player to put the ball in the net, now it's not so much about marketing anymore. People will come if you're winning. Yeah, I mean, that's all it is. You know, winning winning cures all. And I, you, know, you could have a greater discussion kind of like we did earlier about whether the drum – line and the mascot and all this shit matters but again at the end of the day people aren't going to care about that if you're if you're winning games you know it's not going to turn into the shit show that the Sixers games are where I'm sitting there 45 times a year watching the guys do backflips with the over the Dunkin Donuts thing and dunking the basketball or whatever but uh, I, I don't I don't think 
Talon Energy Stadium is in any danger of losing its like allure or its charm or like the the organic stuff that makes it what it is. I don't think. Okay, but do you think they'll be playing in Chester in twenty years? Uh, no, because the lease will be up by then, and if they're smart, they'll get the hell out of there. But uh, yeah, yeah I, that's the thing that I keep coming back to. Um, it's it's not just the fact that it's in Chester; it's that the parking is such a disaster, yeah. and getting there and into it is hard, and getting out. Is hard. Well, that sounds like a podcast um, topic for the future because since I'm not on the beat anymore, I should just go down there as a fan sometime and like do all the fan stuff. You know, like I'll park my car where everybody else parks and I'll wait in the hot dog line, you know, and I will uh, sit in the lower bowl and like look at the sight lines and stuff like that, you know, because that, that's. Well, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example just from my last match there. So my son, who's 12, insists that we sit in the supporter mm-hmm. section because he gets to curse. Okay. Uh, and he loves that. And it's not great for me at my age to be standing for 90 minutes and sweating and jumping up and down and screaming <laughs> yeah. and singing. But I did it. At halftime, or right before halftime, we go to get uh, you know chicken fingers and, and Coca-Colas. And we stand in a line that's 25 deep. And by the time we get to the front of the line, the match is already resumed beginning of the second half. And they're out of almost everything. <laughs> and I'm like, I turned to my son and I said, I told you that we had to get in that line in the 36th yeah. minute because... We'd be down there, get our stuff, and get back. He's like, well, we might have missed a goal, this, that, the other thing. If there's one criticism I can then give the union for the match day situation, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, And I know it's tr- trouble. Like, I've been to a Premier League match, and yes, halftime is a misery because it's 18 minutes long, and you've got thousands and thousands of people all trying to get the same yeah. stuff in limited spaces. I know that's difficult, Okay. But at the same time, they have a lot of dead space on that concourse. And I think if they employed a few more people and they put a little more energy and effort into it, they could do that part of it. Yeah, it does still feel kind of gray, doesn't it? Kind of bland, bland, kind of. All right, well, maybe that's another uh, podcast for another time. All right, let's wrap it up on this question. Um, Another one from EJ. Uh, Who are some good local soccer writers uh, in other cities? that I should be following. I know about Steve Goff, but that's about it. Well, I mean, honestly, you should, if you don't already have one, um, you should just get a subscription to The Athletic because they're building a really, really good team there. Um, I think Paul Tenorio is writing for them now. They just got Pablo um, to do DC United for them. Um, Andy Edwards has always been a guy at Kansas City who knows who he's doing. Matt Pence, um, Jeff Carlisle at ESPN. Um, God, I don't know. I should just put together a list and read it off for the next podcast or something like that. But, but look, who's Tansy writing for now? Tansy is writing for pro pro soccer talk, I believe is the new website. And I think he still does some stuff for Ivis. I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if he's writing for Ivis anymore. Um, but I have to, I have to check on that. We've got a, still got a good group here. You know, Dave and Matt are still doing their stuff for the athletic. Dave's kind of drawn back his work a little bit. And, and John's doing more stuff for John Tannewald's doing more stuff for the Inquirer, But, um, yeah, I, I should do an updated list or something for people to for people to follow, follow other guys. Um, but it's nice to see the athletics scooping up a lot of those guys and actually putting some money into in in the sport. Honestly, you can say a lot of you can say whatever the hell you want to say about the athletic. I know some people were really pissed off about the interview that Alex Mather did like last year, where we said we're going to take all the newspaper writers and we're going to bleed them dry and we're going to run them out of business and stuff like that. But. Um, I mean, the fact of the matter is that their their stuff's been been really good, and um, even to the local level, even if you're like a basketball fan or football fan or whatever, I've known Sh- Shiel Capadia for a long time. He does a lot of great stuff for them. Um, Derek and, and Rich and um, 
and Mike O'Connor for the Sixers. So if you're already reading that stuff, go check out the the Athletic uh, soccer site because it's really good. And also, and the only thing I'll say in favor of the Athletic is they surely have an exceptionally motivated group of writers, uh-huh. right? Because they've come to these people and offered them a lifeline. Like they were in a dying medium. Um, they, a lot of them being laid off left yeah. and right. And the Athletic has built this amazing core of writers who are now not just thankful to have a job, but motivated to make their subscription model work. Can it work? I don't really know. But if you have really talented people who are properly motivated and feel incentivized, yeah. you have a chance. And I think that's where yeah, absolutely. Going. And um, you know, if if the the irony is that people thought that the Athletic was coming onto the scene with like this arrogance or something, like they were going to like reinvent journalism or something like that. But if you just watch a you know, an Eagles press conference and see some of the bozos down there asking their dumbass questions. It's you understand why there was a little bit of a reinvention maybe necessary, but we don't want to end on a negative sure. note. We want to end on a positive no. note. So um, Philadelphia union in good shape, looking good. And we think they're going to uh, win a huge game on Saturday, which will be, uh, we'll be looking forward to after two weeks of, of not seeing them play. So, Phil Kaidel from CrossingBroad.com. Thanks for coming on, man. This was your um, My always, pleasure, Kevin. always soccer me. debut, and you can um, you can listen to Phil and Russ. They do ESPN or ESPN FC. They do <laughs> that'd be a promotion for you. They do Crossing Broad uh, FC, which you can find uh, on our network of podcasts. If you go to CrossingBroad.com, click on podcasts at the top. The link will be on there. So thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. My pleasure, Kevin. Thanks All right, and we didn't introduce Baxter. Uh, this time he's downstairs with my wife, probably sleeping on the couch, but we'll make sure to get him on uh, for the next one. But until then, we will see you guys next time.